Go ahead and take your Bibles tonight, please, and turn to 1 John chapter 3. And, and perhaps this is a good, a good setup for the message tonight because what I'm fixing to say, you would say, how is that possible? It's kind of like we said this morning when we were, when we were preaching and that, that question that's inevitably asked by people, how can a loving God send people um, to hell? And like I said, well, you heard what I shared this morning. And, and the same way is, tonight, as we talk about this love, how is it, God, how is it that this fits in with your love? And often I don't have answers. I just know I believe and I know it's true. It was two weeks ago um, tonight. Two weeks ago, it was December the 20th. Two weeks ago, we were all fired up about Christmas. Tim, we were fixing to go to your house and eat food. As soon as church was over, and God blessed us with a wonderful Lord's Supper service, and we brought gifts, and we prayed together, and it was just an awesome service. And we talked about that we thank God, Paul was writing in 2 Corinthians, Paul was saying, thanks be to God for his undescribable gift. And we talked about how that, that Christ was just, is indescribable all that he did for us. Well, we come to you tonight, really not with that verse even in mind, but trying to describe the love of God. How indescribable is the love of God that he has for us. And you know what? It really is indescribable. As I, as I turn 62 this week, I said that this morning, I want you to get used to the fact you may have an old pastor, okay? But, but as I turn 62, I want you to know I bear scars, and I bear, the scars I bear are the ones that I was raised with that taught me that I had to keep the rules. And you want to know why I get fired up so often about this? Is that I, I was taught that you had to keep the rules, that God was up in heaven frowning at me when I failed. And, and I grew up fearing the lightning bolt from God that he was going to punish me, not discipline me, punish me when I messed up. I, I bear the scars of a man who grew into adulthood, spending a lot of time telling God, God, I'm just, I'm so sorry. I'm just a failure. I'll never be anything but a failure. I bear those scars because I wasn't taught the really wonderful truth about God's grace. And because, by the way, I wasn't taught it, I didn't teach it. And then I really wasn't grew up this, this love we're going to talk about tonight. I preach this scripture, but I, I always put it with the caveat, with the shadow of performance love. That this scripture is true as long as I do what God tells me to do. And when I don't do what God tells me to do, he withholds his love. Because again, that's kind of the way I was taught. And that's certainly the way the world is taught. And nothing could be further from the truth. And here's what I know. If we could honestly get a hold of what I taught this morning about the portion about God's amazing grace, and if, I could, if we could really get a hold of the teaching of God's love, it would radically change our lives. And we would find that abundant life that Jesus talked about in John 10, 10. But, but we've got scars. We've got scars. And, and, and we've got mountains. We've got, we got titanics to turn around. Because through the 50s and 60s and 70s, more and more it became... Keep the rules, keep the rules, keep the rules. God loves you if, God loves you if, God loves you if. And then we run smack dab into 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. Look what it says. Let me, let me read verse 1 and 2 and then we'll come back and talk through it. How great, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it does not know him. Dear friends, 
Now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Behold what manner... Now we'll go to New King James, which is what I have in my brain. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. What manner of love is it? If I were to ask you really what you thought, if, you, if, I, if I was your eighth grade English teacher and all of a sudden we're going to do an essay and I was going to write, ask you to write a page essay on the love of God, how would you describe the incredible love of God? Well, as I was studying, and even this morning, while I was studying for this morning, I, this was rolling around in my head, and, and I thought about these four things that really help us understand and grasp the love of God. And, of course, each one with individual scripture. The first is this. God's love is unmerited. Now, I want you to think about that. Now, again, I know, again, if, if you've had any association with performance love, it really does mean that if we, if we do what people want us to do, they love us back. I, can I be honest with you? Pastors understand that real well. You know, pastors, when they do what the members want them to do, it's okay. When they don't do what the members want us to do, love is withheld. I, I, you would not believe how many pastors lose their ministries because members decide, hey, we don't like the way you're doing things. It's incredibly bad and sad and sad. But here we have a love that's unmerited. Here we have a love that is not based on my performance at all. In fact, the scripture I've chosen tonight is one you've heard over and over again in recent months and simply this. But God demonstrates this love. God shows his love. Now, let this soak in. Don't let the fact that we've heard this verse so much, don't let it rob its power. God has demonstrated his love toward us like this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we had nothing to bring to the table, when I know, and again, we fight this, and, but, but God, you understand, I'm really a pretty good person. We've got nothing. We're at a zero. At that condition, in that state, God extends his love toward us. Now, doesn't this blow your mind? Come on, doesn't that blow your mind? It should. No, I do something. It really should. That God loves you not because you deserve it, but because he loves you. God is love. God is love. And he has extended this love to you. Whether you fall flat on your face tomorrow morning or not, God loves you. It's unmerited love. You didn't earn his love. You can't earn his love. He simply extends, extends his love. So this great love is unmerited. This great love is unconditional. And we really don't need going further than John 3, 16 for this. For God so loved the world. And if we were being honest, we would probably pause and say, wait, wait, wait a minute, God. I'll say, so, so God, you really just love, um, you really love like, like the people that are not too bad, right? And God would say, no, no, I, I love the world. And, he, and you say, well, do, God, you really don't love murderers, do you? And he'd go, well, actually, yes, I do love murderers. And then you, we could go on down the list until I finally made you mad or upset. And, but God, you love this person, you love that person. He said, yes, understand, I love the world because my love is unconditional. In fact, my love is so unconditional that I gave my only son that whosoever believes him should not perish but have everlasting life. In fact, in fact, you've got to know this. I did not send my son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's incredible. It's totally unconditional. And that's what we got to grasp. 
When you run across a neighbor, when you run across, when you think about people in a foreign country, and some people say, why do we go to Africa? Because God loves those people. And they don't have the opportunities we have to hear the gospel. Why did this young man give up a wonderfully successful professional career and now lives in Central Asia sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because God loves. And he was so overtaken by the love of God, he felt compelled to go share that love of God. And David said it, you said it this morning, that not every person is going to be called to go to the foreign field. I do like what David Platt said. He said, the question should not be, should I go, but why am I staying? Hmm. Compelled by love. Whether it's 1,000 miles, 6,000 miles, or five steps, the unconditional love of God. God so loved the world. He honestly loves that person that lives next to you that you can't stand. And that's why we've got to keep being the church. We've got to keep being Dorisville because God loves people more than anything. His love is unlimited. Unlimited. Listen to this. This is good scripture. This is one you're not quite familiar with, I don't think. Paul writing, and the only reason I include this first part is because um, I, I didn't want to interrupt Paul in the middle of the sentence. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he will strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell, and boy, Paul's there just a moment, he may abide, he may be at home is, is a good word, that he may abide, may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, listen up. And I pray that you, being rooted and grounded, I pray that you, being rooted and grounded, rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, and how high and deep is the love of Christ. Paul's prayer, listen, Paul's prayer, Dana, was that we would understand the love of God. How would our lives be changed tonight as people of God if we truly understood the love of God? How wide how long how deep how high is this love it was so important that paul prayed and said here at church at ephesus and and all the saints i just wish you could understand how much god loves you and he's not going to stop that's freeing what did john write first john first john perfect love cast out fear cast out Oh, how much freer would we be if we understood how much God loves us. He goes on and says this. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It's unlimited and it's unending. Psalm 100 verse 5 says this. For the Lord is good and his love endures Forever. Would you say forever with me? How long is forever? Yeah. So, so if I'm understanding this right, if, if, if as a pastor, if I'm, as a teacher tonight, if I'm getting it right from these four selections of Scripture, that God loves me unconditionally, that there's nothing I'm going to do to cause Him to stop loving me. And there's not a point in my future somewhere. See, this, scriptures like this answer the eternal security question. If God truly loves me today through Christ, He's going to love me 10,000 years tonight in Christ. 
Now, without Christ, that's a whole different story. But if he loves me in Christ, if I'm born again, I'm going to be born again in 10,000 years because his love is unlimited, unconditional, unending. It's powerful. Isn't that good? Now, see, seriously, and I say this in jest, but I say it seriously. For those of us who know how imperfect we are, this is really good news. I mean, you're sitting there at night, you got your act together, and you sin every 25 days, whether you need it or not. You know, that's good. But for us who live, you know, I'm really glad that his love is this great. How great, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. I'm not sure even what translation that is. Bestows a good word. I think lavish is better. I thought about, I thought about the time that, that they're having a big dinner you know, Lazarus has been resurrected. And, and they're having the big party, the big dinner. And Mary, the sister of Martha, not Mary Magdalene, Mary, the sister of Martha, comes in and takes that alabaster vase and opens it up and begins taking this hugely expensive ointment and lavishly anointing the body of Jesus. And the, the aroma of her love just fills the room. Oh, when we begin to understand the love of God, the lavishness of His love, every time we join to worship, it should fill the room. Like a powerful, poignant perfume filling the room. And that happens when we begin to understand how much God loves us. He's lavished it on us. That now, now grasp this, that we should be called children of God. Let that soak in. Dwayne Taylor and, and Jonah and Bill over here and Kathy back here and Jeremy back there, those of us who know Christ, we are God's children. Let that soak in. God's children. In fact, there's some debate whether the next phrase is, is a scribal edition uh, sometime after the fact or if it's included in, in appear to, doesn't appear to be in the ancient manuscripts. It was added sometime after that. But, but it's okay because he says it again. But it says, and that is what we are. <laughs> it's like, it's like the, the, the scriber just couldn't hold it back in. He goes, we're the children of God and we really are. Period. Whether you think you earn it, whether you think you deserve it, if you've experienced God's grace and your sins are forgiven and, and you are following a Christ follower, you're a, a disciple, a believer, you are, period. Nothing you're going to do tomorrow is going to change that. If you've truly been born again, you're his kid. And he's not going to change his mind about you. That's great. And that is what we are. We're, we're that way by birth. You remember, of course, John chapter 3. You know, Nicodemus comes to Jesus, says, we know you're a great teacher and all that. And Jesus said, you know, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. And he goes on and says, unless a person is born of the Spirit and of the water, then he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You are God's child because you're born that way now. You had the second birth. Now, again, there have been times I would like to send my kids back. Can I have an amen? 
found out that wasn't a return policy. <laughs> I still can't get over the fact. I still remember when Becca was born. And, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm a new dad. And I didn't know what to do with this kid. And Be- I don't think Judy knew much more than I did. And, and she did the first big potty. You know, it's that Iconium stuff or that black stuff. Excuse me, I'm sorry, but we're the family tonight. And, and, and it happened, and, and I said, Sir, there's a male nurse, Sir, I think she's pottied. And, and he said, The diapers are under there. <laughs> I'm going, What? I don't know anything about this. There are times I said, Kind of want to reverse the dad thing. God never even wishes. God never even wishes. God never even wishes he can reverse the transaction. Don't let some preacher and don't let Satan convince you that God is sorry he saved you because he's not. He's not. Yeah, amen. I'm telling you, y'all need to hear this and I need to hear this because i got scars. And you do too. You've been raised like me to believe that if God could undo the deal, he would. He didn't stop there. We're his by adoption. We, we've been physically, spiritually born again. But then he adopts us. And that has all kind of wonderful legal ramifications. Listen to Romans chapter 8. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage. Now listen to that. Paul's saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. You didn't get bondage. When you got Jesus, you didn't get bondage. But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, dear Father. And another place Paul writes and says that you have received the adoption of sons. That is... Donnie, the moment you receive Christ, whether you were 6 or whether you were 15 or whether you are 50, you were seen as a son of God. You had legal rights. Often with our children, you know, as we raise them, as they get older, we give them more and more rights, but not with God. When you are born again into the kingdom of God, you are given full sonship. The adoption of the Spirit. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that great? Could someone please say amen? I mean, come on. This is the most incredible, this is just incredible truth. Because again, when you get down the road and you're going to say, God, do you really love me? He goes, you're my son. You're my son. Because again, I, maybe it's me. Does Satan ever whisper in your ear, do you really think God likes you? You, really, you call yourself a pastor? Mm-hmm. 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 Hello, buddy. And that's why, by the way, in case you're wondering, that's why in 2016 you've got to make a serious commitment to become a student of the Bible. Because this will speak the truth and he will speak the lies. If you don't know the truth, you can't believe the truth. That's why it's important in 2016 you become a student of the Word of God. And I don't mean a casual reading, and I don't mean proving you're good by reading the Bible through, reading all the chapters of the Bible. I'm talking about diving, delving into the Word of God. 
studying it, meditating it, and digesting it. It's powerful truth. So he says, the world doesn't like him, and the world doesn't like us. And that's a, actually, it's, you can expect it. Again, it, it's just, you need to understand that we're the enemies of the world. We, we get mad in America because, you know, America doesn't like Christians. Well, that's kind of because America is not the Christian nation we think it is. And as it gets more and more carnal, it's going to look like Christianity more and more and more. Truth is. But here's the good news. It just proves you're a child of God. It just proves you're a child of God. If the world doesn't like you too much, it just proves... I don't mean you need to be arrogant and all that junk. That's not what I'm saying. Don't read that. Jesus never was that. But the world didn't like him. And the world, as we follow Christ, won't like us. So, so John then says in verse 2, So, dear friends, now we are children of God. Now, let me tell you this. This is something you need to hear. Okay, One of the strongest tools in Greek writing is repetition. One of the ways you really make a point is you repeat it twice. You repeat it twice, no pun intended. So when he says this again now in verse number 2, he's already said that we should be called children of God. Now he comes back in verse number 2 and says, Dear friends, now we are children of God. He's affirming. He wants you to know it. He wants you to believe it. He wants you to act like it. We are. The children of God. And then he says this. And what we shall be has not yet been made known. Because see, we're not home yet. We don't have full revelation of all eternity yet. But one day we will. In, second, in 1 Corinthians 2.9. For as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. You know, David, there's been a lot of bad theology written in Southern Gospel and other contemporary Christian music, hasn't there? And some of that is caused by people trying to put into words what I have not seen, ear have not heard, nor is there in the heart of man. They, they're, they're grasping for the words to describe how powerful and how great these things that God has for us. And I figured out, I'm, I'm figuring out that if Paul entered the third heaven and he has a loss of words, he wasn't lawful to speak about it, then there's going to be times when words just won't do. Words just won't do. It won't happen. But Paul said, oh, he said, I have not seen. The ear has not heard and has not entered the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. Now, let me tell you, let me use the food illustration. We don't have the full revelation, but we're not totally blind. You know, sometimes we go, like for instance, our, our own selves. We had a, we had a good lunch um, at Thanksgiving at Terry's house. And it was good, wasn't it, buddy? <laughs> we had the, the whole... We had the whole smooth, just everything. So well, our family was getting together Thanksgiving night. And so we had hors d'oeuvres. Now, hors d'oeuvres are kind of like tasting things. Okay? So, so you don't get the full meal, although I figured out if you eat enough of them hors d'oeuvre things, you get a meal out of it. Okay? But you get those small, tasty things, and as you eat those, it's a taste of better things. Well, the Spirit gives us a taste of better things to come. God's Spirit reveals some to us 
Not all of us, but God's Spirit reveals some of us just enough to whet our appetite and know it's going to get better. <laughs> Things like tonight, a little baby, and Dave Bradford's brother, and John losing a brother. It's, it's hard, but we got the Spirit giving us a taste, saying it's going to get a whole lot better. And we know that when he appears, Paul writes in verse 2, or sorry, John writes in verse 2, but we know that when he appears, that's the rapture. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Paul wrote and said, now, a, a general reminder. Paul writes in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. This isn't home. This isn't home. Your citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to do all things to himself. In other words, this is going to get transformed. Now, I'm pretty steadily. I mean, there's not a lot of work to do, but there's some. This lowly body is going to be transformed to be like his glorious body. Amen. Doesn't that sound good? Some of y'all, you know, some of you have illness. This lowly body, it's going to get made new. Glad we don't have to spend eternity in this one. Therefore, my beloved, my long-for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Be encouraged. In these days... In one sense, you know, I, you need to know, and I think you know, that everything points to the rapture. But the truth is, it could be 100 years, it could be 300 years. We don't know. Everything points, though. If you read the book, you read Revelation and Daniel, it seems to point to these being the last days. But we don't know that, do we? So we need to be encouraged to stand fast. Therefore, my beloved and long-for brethren, my joy, my crown, so stand fast, where? In the Lord, beloved. How you stand fast? Understand how much God loves you. Understand how much He loves you. Understand how He has given you the new birth and the adoption. And that you are, no matter what Satan says and your neighbor says, you are. If you've been saved by grace, you are. A child of the king. Would you bow your heads, please? Good news. It's just good news. Unmerited. Unconditional. Unlimited. Unending. The love of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we might be called children of God. I've always said I'm Baptist born and Baptist bred, and when I'm gone, I'll be a Baptist dead. But better than being a Baptist is being called a child of God. And you are. And you are. Thank you, God, for this incredible truth. Lord, as we leave this place in a few minutes, may we walk with you tomorrow.
I'm not asking you to walk with us. Can we walk with you? Would you guide and direct and give wisdom? Would you help us to remember just how great your love is and that we are held by your strong and mighty hands? And Father, may we share this wondrous love wherever we go. May it just slosh off of us onto the people we live with and work with. May they know the love of God because of the excess that flows out of us. Father, we're going to sing this song, whatever day this is. And Father, I pray that as we sing these words, there'll be a commitment to you, whatever it is, a commitment to you. As we enjoy the lavish love that you give us. And Jesus, I pray this in your name.